do better. Welcome to Do Better Podcast, a digital content hub from Asade, built for minds interested in doing better. You can leave your comments and suggestions on dobetter.asade.edu. Hello and welcome to Asade Doers, a podcast about entrepreneurs and innovators. Our guest today is Christopher Payne, founder of Reach. Hi, Christopher. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Davide. Thank you very much for having us. By the way, quick question. Should I uh, call you uh, Christopher or Chris during the recording? What do you prefer? Whatever you prefer, but I'm known as both. So whatever's okay. easiest for you. <laughs> there, there's no specific one. Um, okay, all good. Then, uh, Chris, tell me in 30 seconds, uh, kind of pitch style, what is uh, Reach? What does your company do? Perfect. So Reach, we've essentially built the equivalent of a personal Google in that sense. It's an all-in-one tool that centralizes all your digital information. So your notes, your contacts, your emails, your pictures, the articles that you've read that you find interesting, so on and so forth, all in one tool, all in one place. And the key differentiation is that rather than storing all of this as we've done for years in folders, where you have to remember the name of the folder and the name of the file in order to find it again, our structure, the way it's different is that it works just like a brain in the sense that all your knowledge, all your data is interconnected between each other based on context, meaning where were you, who were you with, what was it about, et cetera, et cetera. So this way, rather than remembering what it was called, you just have to remember what it was about, what was the context around it, and you can find it again. Um, and for the moment, the tool is primarily focused as a mobile application with the idea of then expanding it into desktop. And we also actually have a Chrome extension. Okay, that's great. This is Extremely interesting as, as a topic in general, no? and we are seeing uh, quite a lot of uh, conversation in the in the tech scene about this uh, kind of second brain uh, or you know knowledge management, uh, personal knowledge management systems. Uh, there's been uh, quite some companies now trying to, to to get into that direction. What are you doing different, uh, or what is your competitive advantage here? So um, most of the companies you're mentioning have focused actually on one vertical uniquely, which is note-taking. So you have Rome, Mem, and a whole bunch of them out there. What they've done is they've taken the principle of Zettelkasten, which is a new filing approach, and essentially they have digitalized it. So it's, to keep things simple, it's essentially a note where you can then reference other notes and other concepts. And there, a graph database and sort of a network structure. The key differentiation to ours is that in ours, you can have notes, but on top of notes, you can have any other media type. So you can have documents, you can have pictures, you can have a contact, you can have a location. And all of these work under the same principle that they're essentially stored based on the connections that they have. And that's how you can then find them. And maybe the other key differentiating component we have is how you then visualize this network. So most of these tools talk about the network structure and a graph structure, but you don't actually see how this structure then grows and evolves and how everything is interconnected. And the ones to do, it's purely 2D. In our tool, on the other hand, you can see in three-dimensional space how your entire network is interconnected and how your second brain actually looks um, and you can then navigate it. So I'd say this, our differentiation is twofold. One is the amount of or the variety of things you can then store. And secondly, of how you can visualize and how you can search through it. 
that's amazing and it uh, sounds uh, as well rather complicated uh, to build as a as a tool no so what's the maybe going a little bit uh, back uh, what's the story uh, of this project no uh, when did you start working on it how did you get the original idea and what has been the development uh, until now so it's been actually quite some time um the story i'll try to be as brief as possible but um, I started out initially working on a VC fund here in Barcelona, focused uniquely in SaaS B2B software companies in early stage. And in that time, um, I realized the core beauty of uh, SaaS businesses, specifically on the B2B sector and the benefits that you could have in them as a company. So during my time there, I decided that I wanted to go and start a SaaS company, specifically on the B2B side. And there, I there realized that the key issue that all the companies were seeing and then Nauta, the fund also was having, is in the way that they could store and search for the data and all the research that they were doing. So then when I left the fund, what I tried then to focus on was one specific issue, was changing the way we file information and changing from the archaic system that we have of folders to a system that replicated the, the way the brain works. And there together with uh, my investor and partner in this venture, we then came up with the initial idea of what REACH is, which has actually evolved quite considerably since we started. We initially focused REACH as a B2B tool purely on actual files, specifically for legal departments or law firms in that sense, so for e-discovery. So for companies that had a huge amount of documents, contracts, and sort of a very big archive of information. And the pain point there we were trying to solve was according to Gartner and McKinsey, two separate studies that they did, they saw that the average employee spent between 17 and 23% of their time just searching for information. And this wasn't information online. This was information that the company had in their servers. And this problem was even bigger in law firms and in some specific departments and companies. Mm -hmm. So that was the product we then started targeting. And that was the first version of Reach. So it was essentially a new version of your Google Drive that worked a bit like a brain. Okay. But it evolved not to something different then. Yeah, exactly. So we created the first version of the product there. And what we saw was two things. First of all, sales cycles on the B2B side are significantly longer. And then, although people loved the concept and the pilots we did were very good, people had quite a bit of resistance. Well, not people, actually. Companies had quite a bit of resistance shifting from a system they had used their entire life, which was folders, to a completely new system. So with that in mind, we decided to take a different approach rather than a top-down approach, a bottom-up approach, similar to Box, Dropbox, and all of these other players, um, and then target the individual. Create a product that worked for the individual as an individual for his personal use and from there grow it into the company afterwards. So we then pivoted from a B2B to a B2C. And in that pivot, we then reinvestigated what were all the pain points that the individual like you and I have. Um, and then we tailored our solution to those pain points. It's very interesting because many times we, we hear actually companies doing the, the opposite, no? starting B2C and then uh, having to to move to uh, to B two B because of uh, investors pressure as well. Uh, I think that that's uh, one interesting thing as well to explore. So um, you have been and you mentioned uh, that you had an investor earlier on, um, and that kind of you know, so you had to pivot uh, your project to something different. 
how was that received uh, from the uh, you know from the investor? Was there any change in terms of the support or the milestone you had uh, in in your relationship with them? I think the key benefit and the key thing that differentiates it from most others is that this individual is not really just an investor. He's actually as much of an investor as he is a partner in the business. So the key benefits we had there is that it wasn't a decision that I took unanimously. It was more than anything based on the inputs we had gotten from the market and in discussions with him, we took the decision together in that sense. Um, so it wasn't that I had to sell him on an idea as an investor that was only caring about the return on his investment. His investment was more than also becoming a bit of a, in that sense, like a partner in it. Um, and there, the key focus was, okay, what is the best way we can develop the product forward? And what is the best way we can get uh, reach then to grow and launch successfully? And so we knew when we started out together, we knew that there wasn't one way that we could potentially solve it. There weren't actually at the time, so this was maybe three and a half years ago, at the time, there wasn't anyone really playing with graph databases and knowledge networks. Um, so we were there in a completely green space without anyone to actually copy or follow, which mm -hmm. is a typical thing now everyone does is they look at a successful company like Notion and then they create a similar version, but slightly better. There we were in a completely green space with just one idea in mind, which was changing filing. Um, so we knew we wouldn't hit it on the first time. And so we knew we would have to pivot and sort of tighten a bit our focus and keep on changing until we found something that worked. So it wasn't a surprise to us and it wasn't a hard decision to take in that sense. We still know that in the future, the product is still a B2B solution. The thing is, what is the entry uh, going to be? Mm -hmm. Yes. And this as well is a, now it's a strategy I've seen in, uh, in other projects, kind of going to the individual first, uh, making them aware and getting them used to the, to the way of working of something new as a, as a bottom-up approach to then get into, into companies. Um, interestingly, you mentioned more than three years uh, now working on the project, no? um, mm -hmm. and you are now uh, launching kind of the first, uh, let's say, usable version. So in terms of, uh, of motivation as an entrepreneur, uh, how does that uh, feel? Like, uh, how do you keep up, no? Kind of pushing mm -hmm. and pushing through pivots uh, for all this time. So the good thing is throughout this time, this is actually the first time we're launching it open to the public. But we've had throughout, actually, since the very beginning, we created small versions and then tested them out. So initially, we sat down with good small companies, small teams. Um, so the good part of it is that it's not the first time we're getting the product in the hand of our users. We've had the product already with our users and some of them for actually three years and they've been with us throughout. Um, but it is now the most exciting time. The key issue is software at the end of the day. So it's a lot simpler if you want to start selling, I don't know, sandwiches in the street and then you can do it the same day. But when you're dealing with software and specifically highly technical products like ours, it's not something that gets built overnight. Um, so there is quite an investment in time and energy that needs to be put in order to get something that's actually workable or working and in the hands of the users absolutely and you you touched upon uh, no, i guess one of the core points as well which is uh, you're mentioning now software quality building it takes time and then of course it can scale but first uh, you need to build it um, to build software 
as of now, we need people. And there is a lot of conversation about getting the right talent and getting uh, the right developers. And there is a lot of uh, fight about it. So uh, you were telling to me in the kind of in the pre-show that uh, you work mainly uh, presentially as well. So not not remote. Is that, do you find, uh, does that make it more difficult or easier uh, to get uh, good talent uh, developers on board? To be honest, um, we're very lucky in the sense that Barcelona has some excellent tech talent. So the UPC here, so the uh, Universidad Politecnica of Catalonia here in Barcelona, who brings out some excellent talent, which we've been lucky enough to be able to tap into. So to date, we haven't had a big necessity of hiring outside of Spain. Um, the talent we've been able to source purely here in Barcelona has already been top and excellent in that sense. And we also had some bad experiences in the past with uh, fully remote. So we had an initial team at the very beginning and we had to then sort of start again from scratch. And we changed the team and all that. So since then, we've gone fully presential and with the entire tech team based here then in Barcelona. Okay. And uh, Chris, you're uh, you're not originally from Barcelona, though. Uh, of course, you studied here uh, at Ezade. So, why starting the company in Barcelona? So, um, the company is actually based in Switzerland, um, but we have then here an office in Barcelona, and then the office in Barcelona is where we have essentially the entire tech team, uh, or the vast majority of our tech team is here in Barcelona. The key reason we chose Barcelona was to, one, is a great location to attract top talent. So not the entirety of our team comes from the UPCs. Some of them are from abroad, but they love the idea of moving to Barcelona. So that's already a key driver. The second also is the value uh, you get of the talent. So the same talent, for example, in the UK, where I studied before, would be considerably more expensive and considerably more competitive. There, there's a lot more startups out there, um, and it's a lot harder to source, to source top talent than it is here. Uh, and then in the US, even bigger. Actually, now the biggest issue we're more or less having is with more and more remote work. That's actually proving to be a bit of a problem with uh, talent because... Right now, you can have companies that are purely and entirely based in the UK hiring talent that is fully remote here in Barcelona for a fraction of the cost. Um, so that is proving to be the new challenge that we're seeing with actually with COVID. As more and more teams are going full remote, it's making the boundaries no longer exist in that sense. And so everything's up for grabs. Right. No. So on one side, there is there is a big advantage of, for example, as you mentioned, Barcelona is a location being attractive for developers. But on the other side, now companies uh, being able to to hire fully remote uh, kinda uh, makes it difficult to, to to use that as a as a mode, no, to to defend yourself. Mm -hmm. And exactly. Uh, yeah. But I mean, hopefully, that now that you're, uh, how many people are now in the company? I think we're twelve or thirteen. Okay. So it's it's already. Uh, a good size and you now with, with the right people uh, initially on board should be as well be easier than to attract more no normally it's the, the very first ones are the most difficult to get yeah yeah, yeah. also there's some key individual profiles that are very tricky regardless of the stage 
because there's very few people with the skill set and know-how. And that is the biggest challenge we have. On the tech side, there's a few key rules um, that there's very few people out there today that have the skill set to do them. Right. And you're as well very, very specialized, as you were mentioning. No, you started out uh, um, in a green field, so not, not really copycatting. So you couldn't mm-hmm. as well get somebody with uh, necessarily prior experience into a similar company, let's say. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, we saw that the people with the most experience that we've interviewed were the best, the worst performers. Wow. That's actually interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We had one or two people that had uh, actually one guy a few weeks ago, he had 20 something years of work experience as a full stack developer, had been nearly CTO of a company that had raised quite a lot of capital. But the fact he had so much experience was his biggest handicap, because if you're doing a very new innovative product, and that person has become a bit more senior, they've actually, they're no longer in the mud. They're no longer in the actually writing code in that sense right so they're no longer good like they no longer have the knowledge of the latest stuff right exactly so they're not works. necessarily up to date because they are moved a little bit more into management no than, than exactly into, into keeping up to date with new technologies which which i think is a good news for the for the kind of recent graduate uh, listeners in terms of uh, <laughs> there is a way to you uh, know uh, to, to to fight and to put yourself up against uh, much more experienced competition by being more uh, more up to date so um that's a positive Absolutely. news out there. Going back uh, to the uh, to the beginning of the company, so you were you mentioned you were so you're not um, an engineer by background. You studied more management and, and business. You mentioned you were working at a at a venture capital firm, at, and at a certain point you decided now you you get um, passionate about the B two B SaaS and you wanted to build something, and then you left. You said and you and you uh, built uh, you started building Reach. Was it uh, all together? So you left because you wanted to run the company uh, to build this very company, or did you leave uh, deciding that you wanted to build something and then kind of uh, found the idea later on? So um, it all happened more or less at the same time in that sense. So as soon as I had started in the VC fund, the main reason I wanted to go into VC was to learn how other people had then actually started their own companies, how they had then come up with the idea, grown the team, launched how they had then raised capital. And the interesting thing of this VC fund is that it was in the early stage. They were doing seed and series A. So that was actually the most interesting stage that then wanted to learn. So they had validated the product and then they were scaling. Actually, they had passed sort of the mm-hmm. uh, the deadly initial phase of right. raising capital between family and friends. Um, then... In terms of the idea, the idea had come up already whilst I was working there. And then whilst I was working there is when I also then started discussing it with my partner and investor. And so as I had finished with the fund, I immediately then started back to back in that sense. So it wasn't that the idea came afterwards in that sense. It sort of had been cooking and growing whilst I was working there. Right. And in terms of getting it started, uh, this is a, as we discussed already, not very uh, high tech um, company. So did you hire immediately developers? Did you start working immediately on the project or did you start by doing more classical kind of uh, problem finding and, and solution validation? So we actually did everything that we were taught not to do at university. Perfect. <laughs> so we did the exact opposite, which was, I don't know if it was the right decision or not the right decision, but we're here today. Um, 
the key thing is one thing is having the idea of wanting to change the way filing works. And the other one is knowing if that is even possible. So what we then spent a lot of time initially is in a feasibility study in that sense. Is it actually possible to change filing from the archaic tree structure to a graph structure, essentially an interconnected structure? And so we then had initially a first tech team um, that then focused entirely on that feasibility side. And then we had one or two issues with that tech team, and we then had to start from scratch again. But the beauty was this the did... remote team you were mentioning. Yes. Okay, that was the remote team um, based in South America. Um, and so then, when we then started completely from scratch again, because we knew it was possible, but we didn't know is how to do it because the only other person, other from that remote team, was me, and I'm not a technical person or a technical founder in that sense. So. With the yeah. knowledge that we knew it was possible, we then hired a new team here in Basra and then started building up on the idea. And were you, so this was not on the, uh, as you mentioned, on the feasibility on the tech side. What about the more uh, commercial uh, business side? Uh, I guess that, that's more into your background, but uh, did you start in parallel uh, scouting for potential customers? Correct. So the sales side on that sense, what was the fit, the market fit of the technology and the product? We then started focusing on what are the different verticals and use cases that you could have. And that's where we initially then focused purely on documents for companies to manage then all of their in-company knowledge base. Um, so that was already an existing vertical that there's a big pain point and there's very few solutions there. So that was the first one we then started focusing on. And then as we hit barriers, we just then continued evolving what was the business model and what was the vertical that we were focusing on. So in that sense, the beachhead customer, as we were taught, um, has been constantly evolving based on the feedback that we're getting. Right. And so you mentioned initially, um, kind of to, 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 to wrap it up, no? you say that initially the, um, you started with, uh, with law firms and kind of legal research and then figured out that that was not really viable. Uh, but then still moved on to more uh, to other B2B customers, right? Was there then any specific category or was it just more broad uh, in terms of uh, corporations interested in having a, a faster discovery of documents? Uh, to be honest, the, the law firms was within the same category. So we didn't test initially purely law firms. Okay. We test essentially the business side. So business knowledge management of companies didn't matter initially the size. And there we started testing, of course, with small companies, with small teams. Um, and we fairly quickly saw the resistance. So we didn't have to spend too much time on it to then start seeing that there was a resistance on change. And secondly, there was a resistance also on learning how to use a new tool. Plus that the sales cycles are quite long. And to be honest, a product like ours cannot be done on a small test with 100 documents or 10,000 right. documents. The, for it to work, it needs to have the full database, really. Yeah. Um, so from there, we then quickly then shifted, well, fairly quickly then shifted towards the individual. What I mean quickly is that it did take quite a bit of time to develop the first version and then test. And then once we had tested and got initial feedback, then it was pretty quick to take the decision to then shift to the BTC. And in the BTC, then we also then had to readapt the entire product. And then that's also taken a sort of development time to do that's 
I would say a testament of your uh, motivation and dedication as well as an entrepreneur, no? Uh, so really just uh, from the initial idea, keep testing, building, yeah, to, to change uh, one team at a certain point and then kind of restart. Uh, and I remember, I mean, I know we spoke at the time that was, uh, I guess, not, not super easy, uh, personal kind of um, emotional not to handle as well. But uh, I think overall, now having come all the way to this and really trying to tackle a challenge as big as this one, it's really um, a strong testament to your uh, to your skills. So along those lines, uh, I'd like to move the conversation a bit more on the uh, on the personal side, and so to understand uh, to understand you a bit better, and we come to the uh, to the second and last part of the uh, of the podcast, where I'm going to ask you a few questions um, to understand you better. Perfect. So first thing I always like to to ask uh, to the guests is um, what book are you currently reading? So a few of the issues then always for finishing them. But the one that I actually do read quite often and go back to it very often is one called The Heart Things About Heart Things right. from Ben Horowitz. Yes. And that book, I have to say, in terms of the business books I've read, is probably the best one because it tells you not what in that sense, you learn about what entrepreneurship is, you learn sort of the dark side of it also. So I don't know if you've read it, but it's the story of Ben Horowitz, which is the partner of uh, Mark Andresin. And it's the story of how prior to starting A16Z in the business venture, he was all of the issues he had and how he tackled them from how do you hire someone that you don't have the skill set to then even interview them. How do you fire a first hire or a friend? How do you deal with all of the dirty side, not the dirty side, but the difficult side that is not the rainbows of starting a business? It's a big classic now, no? Kind of becoming a classic for entrepreneurs, but really one of the the, the very top. So definitely a solid solid recommendation, I'd say. Uh, And good to to have for any any entrepreneur and also for not entrepreneurs there. That's a great book in general. Moving forward to a little bit more the ecosystem. Um, now, as you mentioned, you're focusing now something, uh, you're focusing on building something that's very specific, but what do you think it's a, a very interesting startup nowadays, of course, uh, beyond yours? So one quite interesting that um, I saw quite recently, I actually invested in their first round was one called MyResi. Um MyResi essentially is a platform that centralizes all elderly homes into one booking system that then enables either the sons uh, or individuals to then be able to find what is the optimal elderly home um, place to go to based on a certain set of criteria. So essentially it's like a booking.com for elderly homes. And the reason I find it quite interesting is because the uh, sort of the third age sector or the elderly sector in that sense is finally becoming a sector like an age group that has used smartphones that is tech savvy. So I consider that one of the sectors that is currently quite interesting and fairly untapped uh, that can have quite a lot of growth in future. And why that sector now, my resume now, was mainly because of COVID. They've seen uh, a lot of families, specifically, for example, here in Spain that used to live with their grandparents and everyone, people now caring a lot more about the house and the time they spend in their home. Right. And there's a big sort of... Working from there. home, of course, not yeah, exactly. kind of in the space, etc. Yeah. 
definitely. And as you mentioned, I think it's as well extremely interesting space that was largely untapped uh, until now, but has a few core advantages. One, it is especially in the let's say uh, Western world, mm, kind of naturally uh, growing as a market. So the, the projections are that the market is growing quite fast, and as as well as you mentioned, kind of the 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 technology penetration is uh, is growing. So. Um, so that makes it as well easier. So super interesting. Uh, we'll check it out. But yeah, nothing to do with what we do. <laughs> well, something but very it's... different, but it's always interesting to keep an eye on the other sides. Absolutely. And linked to this one, a bit more, a bit broader question. And you as well be, I know you worked at, a, at an early stage VC because you, you said you wanted to, to learn about early stage companies. So as a potential founder, what do you think it's a, an interesting trend? people currently looking to start a company should uh, should look into? Um, so there's decentralization of data. So Web 3.0 is something that is a very hot topic right now, which I'm still not too certain as to how mature the technology behind is for it to go into. But there's very interesting potential ideas that are today untapped in the medical space on the ownership of your own data. Mm-hmm. Um, then towards the concept of centralizing information from place, which is similar to what we're doing also, but there's multiple different verticals that you can do. Just mentioned before the concept of medical data, but also of your different tools, um, having them together. People are then doing it with the streaming networks, centralizing all the streaming networks here. So there's that part of centralizing information to one place. Um, and then what I was mentioning earlier, sort of the elderly in that sense the third age i think this it's a very untapped market that also has a lot of disposable income or savings so it's one that is proportionally fairly wealthy in that sense that there's very few tools and solutions that are currently targeted to them that can be for social interaction and events to then where they're going to be living or how they're going to be spending their time so i'd say those are maybe three of the ones that are quite interesting today Fantastic. Lots of inspiration uh, today as well for our, uh, for our listeners. One thing about you as a, as a founder, as a manager, is there any advice you oftentimes give, but do not follow yourself? A-B testing. <laughs> <laughs> so we should be doing a lot more A-B testing. And it's sometimes very easy to fall into a rabbit hole and think that what you have in mind is the best way to do it. And you end up going so deep that if you had A-B tested prior a lot sooner in that sense, you would have saved a lot of time and energy. So yeah, A-B testing, even if we're pushing ourselves to do more and more, is something that we definitely don't do enough. Right. You have this pull as an entrepreneur not to, to go to the, the next thing and kind of believing in your instinct a bit, I guess. No? Not necessarily exactly. always being rational and, <laughs> and testing. Okay. Getting now to the very last question. Um, as an entrepreneur, uh, as a founder, what has been your biggest mistake? Hmm. Biggest mistake? Um, what I studied at university, maybe. <laughs> I should have done <laughs> okay. a degree that was a lot more focused on the technical side, my initial degree. So I did purely uh, business management mm-hmm. and economics, and it would have been a lot more useful, I think, having also had more of a technical angle to it. But this is maybe on a personal level, but if not, uh, in terms of an entrepreneur, um, the biggest mistake we've had was actually waiting too long to launch. 
So okay. always trying to polish the product more and more and get it better, add another functionality that you know the users will love. And they're waiting. So we've yeah. built up maybe 1,800 people on the wait list and we're giving them access very slowly because we're scared that the product is not good enough. Right. But it'll never be perfect. So now we've just bit the bullet and said, okay, we're launching this week on the App Store right. and it's good enough. <laughs> yeah, not the famous uh, perfect is the enemy of done uh, in a exactly. way. Exactly. No? <laughs> You need to always ship. And this is, um, I think overall, it's something that uh, it's extremely difficult for entrepreneurs now, because in a way you, you want to deliver the uh, absolute best that you can. Uh, and as well, there is a little bit of fear of rejection, but on the other side, yeah, product has to hit the market else you don't learn. So it's a, it's a difficult trade-off. Absolutely. Chris, thank you very, very much for uh, sharing your inspiring story, uh, for uh, being so persistent in trying uh, to build what you're building and you finally now uh, was able to, to launch. Uh, and all the best moving forward. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for having us. If you still want to learn more, remember, you can register on our platform, dobetter.asade.edu. That was all for today. Until next time, thank you. Do better.